something I cultivated. I was just born with a loud voice. You can't be saying somebody's name five different ways. I hear the train coming. It's coming round the bend. Hello and welcome to the World Snooker Tours podcast, Table Talk. I'm Kieran Paul and I will be joined by guests to have a chat and learn more about them. Today, I chat with broadcaster and snooker MC Rob Walker here at Ali Pali for the Masters. Firstly, can you confirm or deny whether you are the brother of BBC presenter Dan Walker? Ha! That's so funny. I wish I was. No, I'm an only child. Uh, We worked on the Football World Cup together in 2010. We went round, actually professionally and personally, it's one of the most memorable things I've ever done. We shared a double-decker bus together for six weeks during that World Cup and we went to every single host city for a match day. So I have actually spent a lot of time with Dan and I think off the back of that, because it was Walker and Walker and because he's gigantic and I'm semi-gigantic at 6'3", people assumed that we were brothers, but I can unequivocally confirm we are not related. But I do like him a lot, and when you think about the success he's gone on to enjoy since then, um, it's absolutely incredible. So he's a great bloke, but no, he's not my brother. What is the worst job you've done? I can't say worst because I don't really have that kind of outlook on life. But if you're asking me, you know, what's the least glamorous work I've done. I packed in a warehouse after I left school and before I went to university. But I'm not going to say it's the worst job because that would be belittling people who currently do that. But I actually learned a great deal from that because I led a fairly sheltered life. My mum and dad both come from council estates, but they worked hard. They did well. They only had me. They tried for more kids, but I was the only one. So therefore, they decided to give me every opportunity that they didn't have. So I went to very good public school and was quite green, I think, as to the ways of the wider world. My life was fairly easy and and fun. And I think it it gave me an understanding, a little insight into what the real world is actually like for a lot of people. So although I found that quite uh, difficult, and, and yes, all right, it's the least glamorous job I've ever done, it gave me a real wake-up call. And occasionally, when I get out of bed, and this is very occasionally, when I think, oh, do I really want to go to place X or place Y? I think, yeah, yeah, I really do. Because I could be doing something very different with a lot less satisfaction. So probably um, working in that warehouse. And then the most interesting non-broadcasting job I ever did was one of my student jobs in between term, I think it was in between the first year and the second year, I was a rickshaw driver around the centre of Oxford, which was absolutely brilliant. I'll tell you what, my thighs were like tree trunks at the end of that summer because I would run in in the morning, I'd get the bus back, and all day I used to drive fairly rotund tourists around the centre of Oxford. The rickshaw itself weighed a quarter of a tonne, plus you got two hefty passengers and you're giving a verbal tour on the way round. It wasn't just a recorded message. Uh, so that's, that's the most interesting non-broadcast job I've ever done. But certainly working in that factory, just doing bog standard packing, uh, was a bit of a wake-up call and an eye-opener. So what did you tell your school's careers advisor then that you wanted to be? Did you say that you wanted to be a, broad, a sports broadcaster? I had a pretty clear idea that I wanted to work in sport and I loved reading and I loved writing 
and I loved performing. So I think I was fairly clear in that, yeah, you know, if, if I'm not going to run the 1500 metres for Great Britain in the Olympic Games, and that was the only thing I was good at at school that I excelled at, was running. Not all the way through secondary school, but I won most of the stuff at, in the early stages of secondary school and I loved cross country and 1500 was my distance. And remember, I'm 44, so in those late 80s, early 90s, there was still such glamour and prestige attached to the 1500 because Co winning the gold in 80 and 84 with Crammy winning the world title in, in, in Helsinki in 83 and multiple world records from Ovet co and cram a variety of distances from 800 up to a couple of k those performances were still fresh in people's minds so becoming a 1500 meter runner was you know was was um i wouldn't say it's a common aspiration for for the late 80s but it wasn't uncommon so no i i kind of knew that athletics was was what i loved and if i wasn't going to make it as a runner then i would one day want to put myself in a position where i could be the bloke in the stadium talking about it but little did i know then quite how long that process would take and, and how many great people I've met along the way and how many other great sports uh, it's led to me working on. Were you naughty at school? No, I was, I was all right. Uh, I was a bit wild in the first and second year just doing crazy stuff. But um, no, I worked really hard because I went to Abingdon School, which is a brilliant public school. And academically, I was average. But average in those kind of schools can be quite high. So I had to work extremely hard just to be average. And I also never lost sight. I don't know why. I mean, it's not like I woke up every day and thanked my parents for sending me there. But across the six or seven years or whatever it was from first year to upper sixth, I never, ever lost sight of how lucky I was to have that level of education. And it's not so much the education, it's all the other opportunities that come with it, all the trips you can go on, the, the cross country in the Michaelmas term and Lent term and then um, athletics in, in the summer term. That's all I did. Um, so it was, it was manna from heaven for me. And on a Wednesday afternoon, it was a very old-fashioned school. We had Saturday morning school. So it meant you didn't have Wednesday afternoon lessons. You finished around 12. And if you were reasonably good at some sport, you went off in a minibus with one of your games masters and you would go to another school and, and race, in my case, race cross country. I mean, most of the guys played rugby. But um, no, I worked really hard at school, A, because I wasn't clever enough not to. Not to and B, I recognised what a brilliant opportunity I had and I owed it to all the type of people who would never have that opportunity to damn well make the most of it. And then... Did someone just tell you one day that you had a strong voice and that you should use it for something? Or, or did you just realise it yourself? Uh, you, you don't really know how loud your voice is. In, you know, if you're fairly uh, self-deprecating and you're just pretty normal and humble, um, you're just you. But I only became aware many years later that people tell me my voice is loud. But it doesn't sound loud to me, of course, because it's my voice, so it's just whatever you hear in your head. So, no, I, I, I still have people say to me now that my voice is incredibly loud. My wife's always telling me my voice is loud. I say, listen, love, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, you're stuck with me now. Um, and weirdly, you know, my son has got an unbelievably loud voice. And I do find myself sometimes saying to him, yeah, but he's only just turned six. So you're still getting towards the concept of you need to speak um, in a little bit more reserved tones when you're indoors. So I'm always saying to Arthur, Arthur, indoor voice. Daddy, can I? I mean, I won't do it because I'd, I'd break your levels. Daddy, can I have a muffin? Or blah, blah, blah. Shh, Arthur, Arthur. So, uh, you know, apples don't fall far from the trees. So I think he's going to end up with a loud voice as well. But no, it's not something I put on. It's not something I cultivated. 
I was just born with a loud voice. I don't know why. Uh, it's just the way it is. And do you have to regularly practice your diction? Because you, you want to remain authentic, don't you? So it's kind of a di- tricky balance because you don't want to be not you on stage. Um, I don't think you practice diction. I mean, occasionally you do the red lorry, yellow lorry, red lorry, yellow lorry, red lorry, yellow lorry. But no, I don't do a huge amount of that. I just, when I'm working, I try to make an effort to enunciate clearly. Um, you know, and perhaps I'm lucky that I've been working in broadcasting now for more than 20 years. And you just get used to making sure that you try and speak as clearly as you possibly can and you don't drop too many T's and you complete sentences. But no, I wouldn't say, it wouldn't be any kind of arrogance that I don't actively or consciously practice diction. I just try to make sure that when I am speaking, I speak clearly. And do you worry about like the longer names? You know, obviously some of the tyre players, um, obviously Sri Lankan, cricketers' names. Do you worry about how you're going to say them? Listen, some names are an absolute nightmare. Because I spend most of my time commentating on athletics, um, I would say Lithuanians are really difficult to pronounce because it's just so alien to the way we pronounce words. And yeah, if you get people from Sri Lanka, possibly Thailand, you've got to make sure that you break that name down. And also the golden rule is, yes, you're going to try and get it right most of the time. If you've got a real tongue twister of a name, and you're consistently getting it wrong in practice. If you're going to be wrong, be wrong consistently. You can't be saying somebody's name five different ways. If you're going to kind of fudge it a little bit to make it easier to say, make sure that when you fudge it, you fudge it the same way every single time. But you try and make sure you get it right. And the best way to do that is to write it phonetically and break it down into little bits. When, you, when you've got someone's name that's difficult, if you haven't scan read the start sheet, for instance, if it's commentary, I mean, with snooker, you've got time. Basically, you need to have pre-read. You, you, you look through for any that you think, right, that's going to trip me up. So you would write it phonetically and you would break it down into little sections because the classic thing that you see or you hear people do quite a lot they rush a complicated name really quickly and try and blurt it out but actually your best chance of pronouncing that name correctly is to do it slower highly gabri selassie highly gabri selassie i mean that's an easy one for me now because he's my one of my childhood heroes but you've got to give yourself preparation time and that's the same in any industry in in any walk of life proper planning and preparation prevent Blank poor performance. The seven P's that they say in the army. Well, yeah, we've like so like we if, with in comedy clubs. I've seen MCs and I've done a bit of MCing myself in in the clubs. So say like Rob Walker. I'm introducing Rob Walker, and I've forgotten your surname, which I do all the time. I always forget people's surnames or first names, and uh, I'll be like, oh, okay, welcome to stage, Rob, and get them clapping. And then as they're doing that, I go, and I don't bother with their surname, your surname. So it's just Rob, and then they just think they haven't heard the surname because they're clapping. Yeah, that is that is a, a good way of doing it. Or you you just use the surname, and sometimes the surname's easier than the Christian name. So you'd only give the full name once, and then you concentrate on the name that's the names that's easier. Yeah. When and where did Let's Get the Boys on the Bays come from? Entirely organically, I think it was either my first or second year at the Masters. So either 08 or 09, I think it might have been 09, but I'm not sure. And I just happened to say it. I do a sort of piece to camera before I give the players stats. And I happened to just say it. Oh, we're really looking forward to getting the boys on the bays. And people started cheering, not loads, but a few people cheered. And then afterwards, I retrospectively thought, oh, that sounds all right. I mean, listen, I totally overkilled it to start with. And I now still use it, but I only use it when I introduce the start of a final. 
that's the only time I use it. So I, it does get wheeled out at every tournament, but I make sure that I don't say it, you know, five or six or seven times. I think when I was younger and less experienced, I was saying it every single time, which does get tedious for people. So it just happened completely by accident when people clapped when I said it at Wembley and, and then it stuck. Tell us about the triathlons because you run, you ran this morning at silly o'clock. I've been a runner my whole life. It's 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 where I feel freest. It's where I feel totally content. I don't run with a watch. I don't wear a heart monitor. Uh, I've been injured for a few years. I've got a tear in my meniscus. I'd never even heard of a meniscus on the inside of the knee. And I think the golden rule these days is that you try and avoid surgery if you can. So now at the moment, I'm having to run with a phone because uh, I've been seeing this brilliant physio in Sirencester near where I live. And my stride was very long, which is fairly common for someone quite tall. She told me that when you take fewer strides, you would imagine the fewer strides you take, the less impact goes through your legs. It's the other way around, because if you take fewer strides, you're reaching every time you put your foot down and you're increasing the distance between your two feet upon landing. You're increasing the stress that goes through the knee and the hips. So she's got me running with much shorter strides and touch wood it is working. So at the moment, I'm having to run with a phone. So when the phone beeps, my foot has to touch the ground because off, off 30 years of loping, I guess. But when you can hear it go, dut, 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 every time you hear the beep, your foot is almost as if you're running in rhythm. So you download a metronome. So at the moment, I'm running with a phone for that. But yeah, listen, I love running. I, I, I was up. I woke up early this morning. I've got a... Is this with suit on? Well, you say... Yeah, but listen, you say that. I only wear these suits when I do the snooker. And very, very, very occasionally, if my wife and I go out for a posh slap-up, honestly, my dad's always telling me I am one of the scruffiest gits you could ever meet. When I'm at home, I've got socks with holes in. I'm, if I'm in the house, I'm wearing my old, my old favourite pair of shorts, a baggy jumper, and I'm just bowling about. I never, I never wear a suit. Unless I'm doing a snooker. When I get them dry cleaned at the end of each tournament, I could be pretty much guaranteed, unless I'm hosting an event or I'm out with Becky, those suits don't get touched until the next tournament. So no, I was out, I was covered in mud this morning, but it's a lovely place to run. I mean, London's a great city and that view of the skyline is, uh, is incredible. Okay, well, we're just going to have a quick break and then when we're back, we're going to have the quick fire round. Hi, I'm Kent Hardy, and you're listening to the World Snooker Tours Table Talk Podcast. Right, okay, so we're going to crack on again. Uh, we've just had a lovely run, me and Rob. We went out of Ali Pali, we ran down the hill. I said to take his suit off. He wanted, he wanted to wear his suit. I had the running gear on and I did a mile in about three minutes. Three or four minutes, I was pretty proud with it. That would be a new world record, so I'll let you have that one. Taxi drivers are very good around here. Um, and uh, we were having a chat and while we were running. I was saying to him how I think you could do stand-up. I was saying how stand-up comedy is very similar to kind of what you do when you're jeeing up the crowd. Well, do you know what? I, I'm full of admiration for people who do that because I, I think, you, quite frankly, I think you need really big balls to do that. I think I've got a few stories that I could tell, but I think where I really admire those guys is how on earth do you work out which stories are just funny to your friends because they know you and there's a personal connection and which stories genuinely are going to make strangers laugh. So, yeah, listen, at some point before I hang up a microphone for the last time, I probably would maybe think about having a go if someone gave me an opportunity, but I'd have to make, re I'd, I'd have to do a lot of work to try and make sure that the stories that I've collected over the years are, are funny enough to go in. Anyway, let's continue that over another run. I'm, I'm, 
yeah, I, I need a little bit more persuasion, but let's talk about it. Right, well, we're going to do the quick fire round now. When I was doing it with Barry Hearn, he moaned at me. He, well, he was, he, I was trying to explain what quick fire rounds were, and he was like, obviously, I know what a quick fire round is. And I tried to explain what a quick fire round is, and he said, basically, isn't it obvious it's a quick fire round? So I'm not going to bother explaining it to you, Rob, okay? Okay. Whose safety game do you most admire? Probably Murphy. Whose potting game? Two, Maguire and Allen. What's your biggest break? 22. Who do you reckon is better at playing football, you or Dan Walker? Oh, Dan Walker. Rugby? Mm, I'd reluctantly say me. Cricket? Oh, Dan Walker. Athletics. All round athletics here, all round. All round, you might have to say Dan Walker because of the height, but you'd hope that on a distance race, I would get him back. Favourite album? I would say... Uh, I don't have one. Am I allowed to say that? You can have three. We can have your top three. Fine Young Cannibals, Raw and the Cooked. First album that I ever bought. I would say uh, Strangler's Greatest Hits as well. Deceptively good album. And what would be the third? For all the memories and the nostalgia of being at university, Blur Park Life. And finally, you're hosting a dinner party. You can invite one snooker player from the past or, or present. Someone from another sport, past or present, a musician and an animal. Who and what? <laughs> okay. Um, the snooker player one is a really tricky one because it sounds like a cliche, but touch wood, I've never fallen out with a single player and I've dealt with many because I've been on the circuit now, fortunately, for 12 years or whatever it is. But I'd say two of my strongest memories of snooker both involve Steve Davis. One is when I cocked up and introduced him as Dennis Taylor. <laughs> And he, and he took it, yeah, all right, all right. And he took it, he took it, ext- I don't care. He took it extremely graciously. And the other was when he did his walk around the arena a couple of years ago when he carried the trophy. And he was nearly crying at the end. I think his dad had passed away quite, quite soon before that. And he'd, he'd finally announced he was retiring. So I think it would have to be Steve because there's so many great things you could talk to him about. You know, he's known to the royal family. He's done the celebrity jungle and a whole host of other things. So I think Davis would be such a good guest because he's quite self-deprecating and he would entertain all, all the other people. Someone from another sport? Well, it's, it's, got, it's got to be my all-time sporting hero, Haile Gabri-Selassie, who I've been fortunate enough to get to know quite well because for 10 years I was helping out on a 10K road race that he organises in Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia. And I've had dinner in his house a few times and he's just an absolute giant of a man despite the fact that he's only about seven stone and five foot two so steve davis and highly gabri selassie who would i want ah johnny cash gotta be johnny cash Uh, i mean the the music of johnny cash i hear the train are coming it's coming round the bend johnny cash my son and i love singing johnny cash songs in a car so it's got to be johnny cash i'm gonna say gorilla and i'll tell you why because i've spent quite a lot of time in, in, in East Africa on a, on a youth work thing that I've done since 05. And although I haven't done this with a group because it's extremely expensive, walking with the gorillas in that bottom corner of Uganda where you get to the border of Uganda and Rwanda is supposed to be absolutely amazing. And I know a lot of people who've done it and they say that it's, it's done with, it's all above board and it's done with gamekeepers and you only stay there a short amount of time apparently to, to not disrupt their routine and their rhythm. But you get so close to them And I've heard people say that in that 10 or 15 minutes when they track them down and they're now used to people sticking around and they see the same rangers, they're close enough to look into their eyes. And I've heard so many people say 
that they can perceive some kind of in, real intelligence behind there. So I'd probably say a gorilla, although they're very strong. So I'd probably put Davis next to the gorilla, then Johnny Cash, and then Hailey could... Well, actually, no, Hailey should be closest to the gorilla because he can run away the quickest. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the match will commence in five minutes' time. Please take your seat. You've almost got to keep this in. You've almost got to keep this in. That was a voice of God uh, telling the... Uh, the assembled crowd to go back in. We're uh, we're doing this out of sight of Murphy against Trump uh, in the first round of the Daffabet Masters. So we don't know what's going on at the moment. It's a Big Brother moment. Okay. So anyway, what 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 are we finishing off with? We just we just heard the hissing as if that bloke's voice was going to come over again, and then it stopped. So maybe he just pressed the wrong button. Go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can rate and review it. Ring your mum, your uncle, your best mate, your cat, your dog. Tell everybody to tune in and give us their thoughts. (laughs) 